The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher at Creekside Bible Church, located in Cupertino, California. Like I said, open your Bible. Um, and I'm going to start in the Old Testament, and we're going to go back to 1 Samuel. We don't always get to spend a whole lot of time in 1 Samuel. But before I get there, so today we're going to talk about what does the Bible have to say uh, about a woman, about a female from God's point of view. After all, God is the one who created the human race. He created the first two people. They were Adam and Eve. Uh, God created females. He is the creator. He created them with a purpose, a specific design. He made it clear in Scripture that does not change. Uh, We know that from Scripture, and yet the world is incredibly confused today about the most fundamental realities of life, including humanity and what it means to be a man and a woman, right? I mean, we are talking... Full-blown confusion today, so how appropriate. And that's why I wanted to take the opportunity today on Mother's Day uh, to talk about something so fundamental, so basic uh, from God's point of view and from Scripture about what is a woman from God's point of view. And if you've been in the church sometime, you've grown up in the church, just about everything I'm going to say for you is second nature. That's a no-brainer. Yeah, everybody knows that. Newsflash, not everybody knows that. Not everybody knows that. What things I'm going to preach on today, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, um, very different world out there, mindset, and worldviews that are competing with the one and only true Christian worldview. So we're just talking about what is a godly woman, and this is from God's point of view. Now, as I go through, I'm, just, I'm going from Scripture. Here's what God said. Here's what the Bible said. Here is this woman who is portrayed for us in Scripture. Uh, here are God's priorities Here's what God laid down. Here's what God said women should aspire for. Now, by the end of the sermon, don't be, while we're going through, amassing all the exceptions to the rule. Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what, that's not the point of the sermon this morning because that's not the point of the scriptures that I'm reading that God has given. We are just laying out the foundation. God's ideal, God's intent, God's purposes. We know about the exceptions. Those are a given. We'll just set those aside for now. And we just want to see the fundamental, basic, big picture of God's ideal of what it means to be a woman, of what it means to be female. That's where we're going, just at the top so you're aware. But I've got some questions before I actually get to 1 Samuel 2. Just to get our thinking going and engaged uh, so I'm, I'm talking really about the portrait of a godly woman, or actually more than one godly woman we're going to see in Scripture today. So little snapshots, little vignettes, little portraits of godly women in the Bible and all throughout history. Portraits of a godly woman. Now, I'm not, I didn't say portraits of a perfect woman. Those are different. You can be a godly woman, but not a perfect woman. Because if I just said, okay, we're going to talk about what it means to be a godly woman, many of you women might just check out and say, well, that's not me, and it never will be. Because of the nuance you're attaching to the word godly. So that's important. So what I mean by a godly woman is not a perfect woman or a sinless woman. But what I mean by a godly woman is a Christian woman who knows Jesus Christ, She knows God. She loves God. A godly woman. And a godly woman who is a godly woman is a a Christian woman who is a sinner, who is fallen, frail, but she's growing. 
growing. You are either growing or dying as an individual, as a church. There's no middle ground. None of us are neutral, staying in place. You are either growing or dying. So when I'm talking about a godly woman, a godly girl, a godly female, I'm talking about a Christian woman. She knows Jesus. She loves, And she's growing. That's her trajectory. It's not the perfection of your life. It's the direction of your life. A godly woman, she's going this way. That's Jesus. That's the cross. That's the world. That is self. Which way are you going? So it's the direction of your life. That's a godly woman is what I'm talking about. So it's a growing Christian woman. It's an obedient Christian woman. You can be obedient, not be perfect. You can be obedient and still be a sinful person. But God calls us to obedience. We obey, we blow it, we get back on the saddle, and we keep riding towards obedience. That's what I mean by a godly woman. You're committed to growing. You're committed to obeying. And as a godly woman, that also means a healthy Christian woman. You can be an unhealthy Christian woman. For a lot of reasons. I'm not talking about ladies who think they're Christians and not Christians. But at any given moment, at any given season of life, at any given time, you can be a true Christian woman and be in a health uh, state that is not healthy. So we want to talk about what are the marks and the traits and the pictures of a godly woman in the Bible uh, who loves God, growing, aspires to grow, is obedient. That's the course of her life. Not perfect, but obedient and healthy. And by healthy, I mean spiritually healthy. Spiritual vitality. Uh, so here's some questions that, that we need to think about up front. Here's question number one. Have you, and this is for the ladies, primarily. If you're a female here today, a woman, have you ever had a model Christian woman in your life? An exemplary Christian woman in, immediately in your life, in your purview, in your Realm, whether it was somebody at church that you routinely saw, they were accessible. It wasn't from a distance. They were a part of your community, a part of your, maybe it was your mother, was a godly woman, or your grandma, somebody like that, or, or just a regular woman at the church that you were a part of. Maybe it was a Christian college you went to or some other organization, and you were routinely and regularly exposed to this godly, exemplary model of a Christian woman? That is a very important question for all of our ladies to think. Have you ever had a model Christian woman in your life modeling godliness as a woman? If, the, if you're thinking, well, you know what, I, I don't think I ever have been exposed to that. That's a huge problem. That can be remedied, though. Absolutely. Maybe you're a new Christian. Didn't grow up in the church. That's possible. Maybe you have been disobedient of neglected being involved in a church and weren't exposed to that. That's possible. But uh, you need to be exposed to examples of godly women as defined by the Bible. Next question. Do, ladies, do you know personally a model Christian woman right now? Do you know personally right now a model Christian woman 
personally right now in your life? Again, uh, you see them regularly, or at least you have the potential to see them regularly. You know who they are. They know who you are. And they are in your orbit of life right now. Again, this could be at church, somewhere. Do you have that model before you? Again, if you're thinking, no, actually, I don't have that. Again, that's, that's a problem. Because the passage we're going to look at in, in Titus 2 of what God expects of every Christian woman is it is just assumed that you're going to have a model of godliness in your life, modeled before you, being an example, someone that you know personally, you have access to, usually in the hub of the church. But if you're a Christian woman and you don't have that right now in your life, you need to have that. And you can't use excuses. Oh, nobody uh, comes and talks to me. Oh, I've been trying. Uh, no, you, you, you desire it, you go after it. You gravitate towards it. You pursue it with diligence. You find that woman. She's here. There might be many of them. I just gave you an example of a class that has many godly women in it. That's a good resource. That's a good pool here at our local church to tap into. So the Bible is clear. Every Christian woman needs ongoing, accessible, personal, biblical modeling of another woman in her life. If you want health, spiritual health, if you don't have it, you're going to be crippled in your Christian walk. If you don't have that woman in your life or more than one woman in your life, that godly woman, that mentor, ladies, you're going to struggle. Life is hard. We, We live in a cursed, fallen world. It is brutal. Satan is real. Sin lives in you. In all of us, we're, we're, going, we're going against the grain with the world. Can't do it alone. That's why God gave us Titus 2 and many other passages. So you need this woman of God or several of them in your life. Another question, where in the world today, the world at large, okay, I'm not talking the church, I'm not talking in the Christian world, but where in the world at large which is uh, where most of the world gets their information, all the data from Hollywood to the news to whatever. Where in the world today is true womanhood or true feminism on display? I thought about that all week. Where is a portrait of true, virtuous, godly, admirable, exemplary, biblical womanhood and feminism on display today. I couldn't think of a place anywhere. Couldn't think of it. And the reality is because it's only in two places, actually, where it's being portrayed and on display. In the Bible with all the godly women there and the commands and descriptions God gives as a godly woman, and also in the church. Those are the only places you can find true biblical femininity femininity and womanhood on display. It's not in the world. It's been banished from the world. The world has banished the Bible and Christianity and true Christians, completely boycott. That's why you don't see it. That has not always been true. We're in a new day. Just go look at, uh, no, don't. 
some of these things, this propaganda thrown in our faith. The 25 most amazing American women. And I look, I look through the list of 25 and thinking, uh, evil, wicked, immoral, evil. That's not an exaggeration. 25 most admirable women in America today. Not one of them is known for having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what the world says. So, not in the world. So the only place we're going to find this is in the small, little, teeny, little world of true biblical Christianity in the Bible. So what a great privilege we have today is just to look at some scriptures here to remind us of what God thinks a wonderful uh, woman is, what true femininity is. So let's do that. Uh, just in a nutshell, here, here's the world's idea today of a real woman. And that my list here is different than it would have been 10 years ago and probably three years ago. So here's the updated list. Uh, the world's idea of a real woman today. And I've got three categories. First category is I'm using words that the world uses, but they attach different definitions to these words. We would actually agree with the words, but their definition is completely different. They are offering counterfeits for these legitimate words. But, but here's what the world would say the ideal real woman is for us today. Uh, she is successful. She is influential. She is intelligent. I actually don't have a problem with those words, but I do have a problem of the worldview that informs the meaning on those, that is attached by the world. It's illegitimate. Then here's my next category, uh, and these are just completely wrong. Uh, the world's idea of a real woman today. Here's the so-called characteristics. Uh, the ideal woman today, she's strong and powerful. Whatever that means. An Avenger, maybe? I don't know. Wonder Woman? Strong and powerful? Strong and powerful? Strong and powerful? 1 Peter 3, remember, husbands, your wife is the weaker vessel. Oh, that's scandalous. That's not an insult. That's, that's reality. And it comes down to what do the words mean? What do you mean weak? Not intellectually weaker, not dumber, and nothing like that but just in her basic constitution of how she was made by God. Uh, what else did the world say that's totally illegitimate? Well, uh, not only is the ideal woman strong and powerful, she's a career woman. Newsflash, Christian, I'm just, the Bible, search the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. There is no career woman in the Bible. That is not God's definition. That is not God's ideal. That's not God's expectation. That's not God's command. And I'm not knocking women who have a career. So don't deviate immediately to the exception. Let's just look at what does the Bible say, the portrait from God's point of view. It's not the career woman. Well, what else does the world say is the, a real woman? Uh, the strong and powerful woman, the career woman, or this is a biggie, she's independent. The independent woman. She don't need nobody, she doesn't need, especially she doesn't need a man. We hear that all the time. She's independent. She can do it all on her own. No, she can't. That's a lie. That's a fundamental basic lie. 1 Corinthians 11 is clear. Not only is a woman is not independent, neither is any man. No one is independent. Man and woman designed by God are interdependent. 
with one another. Men need women, women need men. It is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for a woman to be alone. It's fundamental. But the world says otherwise. Uh, so the real woman is strong and powerful. She's a career woman. She's independent. Uh, and now, here's the new one. Uh, the, a real woman today could be a man. What? Yeah, isn't that pathetic? What? Could be a man. Newsflash. It's getting thrown in our face. The uh, swimmer, you know, at the college, Pennsylvania University. Used to be a man, now he's a woman, woman's a man. You can just determine your own gender as you please. No, you can't. God made Adam and Eve male and female. It's fixed. And we will all be judged by God the way we were created, as a man or a woman. He's the judge, he knows that. And then finally, a typical, ideal, real woman of the day, according to America, is your ideal woman is without Christ. She doesn't need Jesus in her life. She's not a believer. She doesn't need the Lord. Her identity and success is found in anything else other than dependence upon Jesus Christ. She is without faith. She's completely void of religion. This is a complete counterfeit to what the Bible says. This is not real womanhood. This isn't what it means to be feminine. This is not God's desire. Just in a nutshell... If you just take the whole Bible and look at everything God had to say about women, if, it, if I had to summarize it, here are the characteristics of what God says a true woman is or what uh, it means to be truly feminine from God's point of view. Uh, just four things. A real woman is dependent. She's dependent. She's actually a contingent being. Every breath she breathes is contingent upon her creator, God, and then She's, as a sinner, she's completely dependent upon the grace of God. Dependent first and foremost on God, on Yahweh. And she's dependent upon humanity. She's dependent upon other people. She's dependent upon the body of Christ. She's dependent upon the church. She's dependent upon her husband. She is a dependent woman. A real woman, from God's point of view, also is a submissive woman. A submissive woman. I know some people don't like that word. If you don't like it, and look, makes you, then that's, that's a good thing because, oh, then you understand the word properly. This goes against human nature. This goes against what the world is telling us. I am woman, hear me roar. God says, no. You are woman, God made you submit. So every key passage in the New Testament that talks about what a, how a woman should conduct herself uses the word submit. 1 Peter 3 actually uses the word obey. A submissive woman, not just to her husband. Uh, in Ephesians 5, it says be submissive to everybody. You defer to everybody. We all defer to everybody. We have submissive attitudes as a Christian. God is gracious to the humble. He opposes the proud. But in terms of a woman's specific role and what God has called her to do, she is submissive. She should pursue submissiveness. She should welcome that, desire that, pursue that, pray about that. She is submissive, submissive to her God, submissive to her husband. If she's married, submissive to the authorities in her life, submissive to the word of God. So the real woman is dependent. She is submissive. She embraces, she embraces her role. Number three, she embraces her role. What role? R-O-L-E, the role that God has given her by design, by creation. She welcomes that. 
Starts in Genesis chapter 2. Adam was alone. He needed a helper, and God made the perfect, complement, suitable helper for the man. So one of the main things about a woman in terms of her role that she's supposed to welcome is she has been made by God to be a complement, to be a helper. If you're married, to your husband. If you're not married and single for any given period of time, then you're a complement and helper elsewhere, like ladies in the Bible who weren't married, like Lydia in Acts 16, like Anna in the book of Luke. They were helpers. They complemented other people, other believers, other ministries. They complemented in the church. That is by God's design. That's basic. So she embraces her role And then finally, she loves the truth. A real woman loves the truth, and that's the Bible. It's God's Word. It's Scripture. Go back and read 1 Samuel 2 as you have opportunity. And just look at, ladies, look at the prayer that Hannah prayed. And just think, do I pray like this? I mean, some of the statements she makes, they are scandalous and alarming. But you know what? They're true. That is a godly prayer. It is loaded with doctrine, with truth, and just Hannah, that's why she was a woman of God. She's incredible. Speaking of Hannah, let's go to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Just a couple of portraits of what true uh, womanhood is, true uh, feminine character from God's point of view by we, as we look at these uh, ladies. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, if you haven't been in the Old Testament in a while, or maybe you've never read this story, uh, there's this man, this is an Israelite, his name is, this is in the time of Samson and the judges and Samuel. So you're looking around 1300 B.C. This is after the time of Moses. Israel has been established there in the land. Um, And then there's this man in chapter 1, verse 1. His name is Elkanah. Elkanah, he is the man in this story. He's a Jew. He's an Israelite. He loves Yahweh, by the way. He worships Yahweh. He's not perfect. He's a sinner. In some ways, he's pretty pathetic. I mean, you read the story and say, Elkanah, man, you're pretty pathetic. But then stop and pause and think, man, if God wrote some of the stuff in my life and put it in here, uh-oh, look out. People would be saying, man, McManus, you were pathetic. Thank God it wasn't written in Scripture. But anyway, so here's Elkanah. He loves God. He knows God. He's a sinner. He's forgiven by God. And he's kind of a knucklehead at times. But anyway, he's the main character in the story. Verse 2, it starts out, it says, and Elkanah had two wives. Whoa, stop there. Had two wives? Okay, let's be clear. That is wrong. Let's be clear. That is sinful. That's polygamy. That's a violation of Genesis 1 and 2 where God laid it out. Here's the definition of marriage. Here's the first wedding God performed. One man, one woman together, one flesh for life. God isn't condoning polygamy. It's just it's stating the fact. This guy was a compromiser. He was a believer. He loved God, yet he was a compromiser. How how can those possibly go together? Well, just point the finger at yourself. We all are pathetic. Anyway, God in His grace allowed this compromiser, this believer, to have two wives. Now think about it. Say you got problems. Say you're married. And you got problems? Add another wife on there. I don't know if your problems are this bad. Uh, This Elkanah, he had two wives. One was named Hannah. She's the godly woman. And then the other wife was Peninnah. Two wives. Peninnah had children. She had many children. Hannah was barren, had no children. They're sharing this husband. Now, in that day and age, the greatest desire and fulfillment came through having children, having offspring as a woman of God. And Hannah had no children, and her competing um, wife is having all kinds of babies. 
And they're getting all the attention and all the goo-goos and all the accolades and all the attention. And Hannah, nothing. And her, her, she can't have children. It says her womb is barren. God closed her womb. That's what it said. And what's horrible is uh, years go by. Verse 7, years go by. Verse 6, Hannah's rival, that's the other wife of her husband that is having all the babies. Her rival, Hannah's rival, would provoke Hannah bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 7, it happened year after year. Year. Can you imagine that? You're all living in the same house. You're all the part of the same family. You're sharing a husband. The other wife, she's having all kinds of babies. God's blessing her. Your womb is closed. And that lady has the gall to irritate you, provoke you, and make fun of you and taunt you because you can't have a baby. Year after year after year. Can you imagine living with that? I can't. This is a foreign, this is foreign to my thinking. Year after year, uh, verse 7, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. And as a result, Hannah, she would weep. She wept and would not eat year after year, weeping. Well, Hannah's life was just full of uh, hurt, loneliness, sadness, depression, bitterness, weeping, being ostracized, being taunted, being mocked in the family, can't escape it, can't get away, constant, year after year. Then her husband, Elkanah, says, well, why are you weeping? Haven't I been treating you well? Verse 9, Hannah rose up after eating and drinking in Shiloh, and now Eli the high priest, or the priest, was sitting at the seat of the doorpost by the temple of the Lord. Uh, verse 10, and then Hannah, greatly distressed, greatly bitter, greatly uh, sour, bitter of soul. That was her condition. That was her frame of mind. That was her thinking. That was everything about her. It just consumed her. Anxiety, frustration, bitterness. Who knows about the anger? She was a woman of God, but she is overwhelmed by these things. Anxiety, depression. Can you relate? What would you do? What do we do? Well, in America here, what do we do? We drown it out. We smother it. We numb it. We don't own our emotions. We aren't realistic about our pain. We want to get rid of it. Cut it out. Snuff it out. Numb it. Hide it. Put a Band-Aid on. Not Hannah. That's not what a mature woman of God would do. Because look what it says. So in verse, uh, this is going on year after year. She's weeping. Verse 9, then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Verse 10, then she was greatly distressed because of this not having a, a child and being harassed by this lady. What did she do? She prayed. Verse 10, I love it. That is a godly mature woman right there. Bring it on, Satan. Bring, on, uh, bring it on, fallen world. Bring it on, cursed earth. Weep. Be, be true to your feelings. Weep. Cry out to the Lord by the word. By the way, in verse 10, uh, she, great, she was greatly distressed. She prayed to the Lord. She went to God. She went to Yahweh. She could have done a lot of things. She could have complained about her husband. Oh, he's a loser. Can't believe that. She could have complained about the treatment she was getting from the other wife and whined. She could have drowned out her sorrow. She could have run away. She could have committed suicide. She could have drowned it in alcohol. There's a lot of things she could have done. She didn't do that. What did she do? She prayed. That's what you do. You have anxiety. You have problems. You have sorrow. You have sadness. You have hurt. You have a void. If you're a Christian, you go to God. 
And you don't hide your emotions or none. You cry out to him. That's what she did. Greatly distressed, she prayed to Yahweh and she wept bitterly. That same word for weep is also in verse 7. Literally, it's a Hebrew word. It means wail, to heave, to sob. And this was characteristic of her for years. Can you imagine people observing, oh, she's got psychological problems. She needs to see a therapist. She needs a psychologist. That wouldn't solve her real problem. She knew the Lord. She cried out to Him. She pleaded with Him. And she also welcomed her emotions. She didn't numb them. You know, the emotions are to the soul what physical pain is to the body in a lot of respects. They aren't to be shunned. I put my hand on the oven and it's hot and I pull it away. Thank you, God, for the pain. Otherwise, my finger would have burned off. Thank you. I welcome the pain. Thank you for the pain. And when we have anxiety, when we have depression, when we have all sadness, these are true emotions from being emotional beings. And we need to take note of them, not drown them out. Why am I anxious, Lord? Why am I overwhelmed, Lord? And you lay it before God. You cry out to Him. That's what she did. That's what the mature woman of God does. She does what Hannah did. She prayed to the Lord. She was in affliction, verse 11. And then you just go on. You can read this own story, uh, the rest of the story on your own. And she just keeps praying to God, crying out to God. Uh, we just read 1 Samuel 2, one of the greatest prayers in the entire Bible. Is that just She lays out her heart. She's talking to God, grappling with God, struggling with God, uh, at times complaining with God, but also recognizing His true character and knowing He is the only answer. And she waits on God. She's patient. She trusts Him. That's a portrait of a mature Christian woman. Now let's go to Titus 2. So the main thing, truth, that we, I wanted to take away from the example of Hannah, a, a godly woman. We hear that all the time. Who are some of you know, the ten top godliest women in the Bible? And Hannah makes the list every time. And a lot of times without elaboration or background, or well, what was she going through? Or why was she? She's just this happy, spirit-filled, godly woman who's on top of the world. N- not, not really. She was crying, weeping, miserable in terms of the things she had to deal with in life, she, her, her relationship with God was true and rock solid. That was her foundation. That's what preserved her. And she was routinely talking to God about it in prayer. She was patient. But the hardships she had in life, I'd say few of us here in America would have comparable trials that Hannah did. And here's the main thing. Hannah chose to be a godly woman. Hannah chose to go to the Lord in prayer. Hannah chose to obey God. Hannah chose to be obedient. Hannah chose to be a healthy believer. Hannah chose the greater glory of her God in spite of her circumstances, in spite of other people, in spite of her family members who treated her wrongly, sinfully, in spite of her husband, in spite of the taunting. In other words, she didn't make excuses. Mature godliness doesn't make excuses. You lean on the Lord. You cry out to Him. That's the beauty of the Psalms. Almost all of the 150 Psalms are just a saint, a believer, crying out to God, weeping, pleading, begging for His mercy, begging for His help, leaning on Him, walking by faith, not by sight. Let's go ahead and look at uh, portrait number two, and that's in Titus chapter 2. 
I was thinking back over the 30-some years, well, and all the days I've preached on Mother's Day. I don't think I've ever preached on Hannah on Mother's Day. And I don't think I've ever preached on Titus 2 on Mother's Day. Last year, we actually did 1 Peter 3, those few verses. That's a key passage. If you're a woman of God and you want to know what God thinks about how to be a godly woman, you've got to have 1 Peter 3 memorized. And right next to it, you've got to have Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 memorized. Three short verses. Here it is. What does God think about a true uh, godly woman? What does God think about true feminine woman? What is a woman that pleases God? Not even if you're married. Just you're a female. You know God. You want to please Him. What does God want? What does He expect? What are the priorities? It's right here. Titus 2, 3 through 5. Question, Christian lady. Question, question, Christian young woman. Question, Christian mother or grandma. How familiar are you with Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5? It's a good challenge. I would say if there's less than five passages in the Bible that you need to memorize as a female and you're a Christian, Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 would be one of them, if not the top two. It's short and it is loaded. But it's what God wants. What, it's what God wants. So let's look at it. This is for all you uh, aspiring godly women out there. And as we go through these things, we talk about these things, and you know, God's expecting this attribute and this trait and this obedience. And you know, you get, and well, it's one after the other, it's like, and then you can kind of get dis- discouraged. Think, wow, that's the standard, those seven? Wow, I don't do that. That's hard. That's impossible. And then you get down in the dumps and, I'm never going back to church on a Mother's Day again. No. If you are a child of God, you know the voice of Jesus. You love the truth. You love the truth. You welcome the truth. You embrace the truth. And when it hurts, you welcome it all the more. Thank you, Lord, for exposing my weakness. God, make me stronger. Fill in the gaps. Help me depend upon the Holy Spirit to aspire to this world that pleases you. It's not about you or me. This pleases God. That's the point. This is a true woman. This is a real female right here. Let's look at it. Titus chapter 2. And he talks about all demographics, by the way. Uh, Okay, older guys, this is how you should be. Maybe that's a Father's Day message. That's verses 1 and 2. Okay, older ladies and younger ladies, here's what God expects from you. Verses 3 to 5. Okay, the young men out there, you Yopro guys, this is for you. Maybe we'll do that on Yopro Day. Um, uh, Slaves and masters, that was a part of their culture. Here's how you're supposed to be. So he deals with all demographics, and in other passages, he deals with uh, children and parents as well. So let's just focus in on what what does God expect of females, of women that know the Lord, verses 3 through 5. I'll just read it. Older women, older women. You could also put in there mature women. Presbyter means uh, elder or older or mature man. This is the female form of presbyter. So it's older woman, not just necessarily in age, but it includes that. But the emphasis is on mature Christian women, mature godly women. Uh, Older women in the church, and it's in the church, church context. Uh, Older women in the church, likewise, like I just told the guys, the ladies in the church that are mature, the older women, they are to be or expected to be reverent in their behavior, number one. They're also expected not to be malicious gossips, number two. Godly, older, mature women are also not to be enslaved to much wine. They're not a slave to alcohol, that's number three. Number four, older women, mature women in the church are expected, number four, to teach what is good. That's it. 
Then he goes to verse 4. So that they may encourage, train, admonish the younger women in the church. The younger, preferably uh, younger women in the church that are believers, that love Jesus. It would also include younger children too that you're training. So that you may encourage the younger women in the church to do what? To love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, to be pure, to be workers at home, to be kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. All right, so let's just, big picture here. Uh, Paul takes all the women in the church. Remember, Paul was a church planner. He was a pastor. He loved the church. He knew these churches personally. He was their pastor. Now he's writing from a distance. Big picture, as an apostle, as an elder, and saying, okay, ladies, all the ladies in the church, i got something for everybody here, despite, regardless of your age or what season of life you are in. And we'll put you all into two camps. So we could do that today. All the ladies here at CBC, if you're a Christian, you fall into one of two camps. You're either an older woman of God or a younger woman of God. I would propose it's not necessarily based on your age. It's based on your behavior. It's based on your lifestyle. It's based on your testimony. It's based on your consistent patterns of behavior and thinking and speech. That's how Paul is dividing up these two. That's how the Holy Spirit is dividing up the two groups in his church, and that's what we need to do in our church. And that's hard to do. It's like, well, wow, am I an older, mature woman? Or do I, am I in the younger camp? Well, let me help you. Here's the first what is, it, what is an older, mature woman in the church who is supposed to be a model, supposed to be an example, someone to look at, someone to follow? When I asked you ladies earlier, do you know anybody personally now in the church that you look to as a model? Hopefully you didn't say no, and it could very well be when I asked that question, maybe you should have said, oh, well, I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be an an older or a mature Christian woman. That's what God expects. Maybe I'm one. Very positive. That's what God expects. That's what Paul expects. So here, so to assess, so doing self-assessment is difficult, but Paul helps us. Four things to consider, whether you are an older, and I emphasis on mature woman of God or not. Four things. He lists them out here for us uh, in verse 3. Older women, four things. First of all, you're reverent in your behavior. Reverent in your behavior. Reverent. Uh, I think this word is only used one time in the New Testament. It's related to the word temple. Temple. You're characterized by temple service. And, and the emphasis is on the things you do, your actions, your actions. And it's related to the word temple, which is it's, you're a priestess of God. In the Old Testament, priests were only men. In the New Testament, if you're a Christian, you are a priest, even if you're a female Christian. And God is expecting you then to act like a priestess. In other words... Uh, in the Old Testament, what did a priest do? His whole life was living a holy life for God. Everything was dedicated to God in formal service to God. Everything. He didn't dichotomize and separate and compartmentalize his life. Oh, I've got my secular life over here, and I've got my religious life over here. No. It was all one. That's what a priest did. And Paul's saying, you know what? It's a new day in Christ as a woman of God. You're a priestess to Almighty God, and you need to conduct your life accordingly in everything you do. Every venue, every sphere, every category of life. The Lordship of Jesus Christ is over that area of life. It is all-consuming. You're a priestess before God in all that you do. That's Hebrews 12. 
So the emphasis here is on your actions. You are noted by other translations. Holiness, reverence, godliness, but it's, the emphasis is on your behavior. Your actions, what you do. Somebody could look at the pattern of your life, and here's your behavior. Here's your deportment. Here's your demeanor. Here are your actions. Here's what you And the pattern is godliness. The pattern is that which pleases God. A younger, immature Christian woman, she, she doesn't have that down yet. Oh, hiccup. Oh, backwards, big time. That's okay. We're, we're working on stabilizing that. And we've got to look to the mature ladies in the church to help us to that end. So that's the first thing, first thing is reverence in her behavior. Secondly, a characteristic of an older, mature woman is she's not a slanderer. Uh, one translation says not given to malicious gossip. You know what the word is? It's diabolos. It's devil. Diabolos, 28 times in the New Testament, usually refers to the devil or slanderer. Satan as a slanderer. Satan the false accuser. That's the point. It's, it's verbal. You have a forked tongue and you talk too much and you talk the wrong way and you primarily talk the wrong way about other people. And Paul's saying, if you're a woman and a Christian woman and you're characterized by too much talk that is slanderous, demeaning others, criticizing others, you're not a mature Christian woman. You don't belong in the older category. You have got to get that tongue under control. That's what he's saying. Now, this is interesting because it usually refers to Satan, but uh, here it refers to women. Women, you've got to get your words in order. You've got to control your mouth. And then in 1 Timothy 3.11, one of the very few qualifications of a female regarding deacons in the church, the female, whether she's uh, married to a potential deacon, the woman, the qualification is same word. She can't be a slanderer. She has got to get her mouth in control. Otherwise, you're not qualified to be affiliated with a deacon in the church. Uh, and I think about Proverbs that has much to say about godly women and ungodly women. They are characterized many times by the words in their mouth and their tongue. I think of Job chapter 3, and Job's going through all this stuff. He needed some encouragement from his wife, and what did he get? Curse God and die! You fool! Basically is what she was saying. He didn't need to hear that. Uh, I think she overcame that by the end of the book. God's blessed her, Job's wife, with new children. So she grew through that, I think, I hope. So, godly women. They are reverent in their behavior. That's their actions. They are uh, not malicious in terms of their words. So it's actions, it's words. And then finally, number three, uh, she is not a slave to alcohol. She's not a slave to alcohol. Not controlled by alcohol. When, you're, when you have problems with alcohol, it is all about control. That's Ephesians 5.18. Do not be drunk with wine, but rather be filled, be controlled by the Spirit of God. And he puts the two against each other. Alcohol versus Holy Spirit. What are they about? They are controlling influences. Once you start succumbing to alcohol, you are, you are succumbing to control of something else. What does that first and foremost affect? Your thinking. This is your thought life at stake. So Paul says, here's a way to find out whether you're a mature, older, exemplary model woman in the church. You have mature actions that characterize your life and your reverent behavior. You have godly words. You're not a slanderer or a gossip. And you control your thought life. You're not controlled by external influences. So your actions, your words, your thoughts. If that is characteristic of you, again, the direction of your life, not the perfection of your life, then you may very well be in the category of an older woman. And therefore, you have responsibilities and expectations in the local church. And younger ladies are supposed to be looking at you and following you and chasing you and tugging on your coattails and whatever else, wanting to be with you and in your shadow and learn from you and pray from you and talk to you. And walk through the problems of life with you. They need, they need that. 
So that's it. Those, those are the, that's the description of an older, mature woman of God. And then what does she do? The last part is, well, if, if you meet these three criteria, then you should be about teaching good. That's what you do. If you're in the church, you're a Christian, you should be about teaching good. If you're an older woman, who are you teaching? So, okay, older, mature women of God, you've known the Lord for 50 years, 40 years, 30 years, whatever. Who are you teaching in the church? That's what it says. You should be teaching other women in the church. One-on-one. -on -one. doesn't mean leading a Bible study necessarily, but there should be a, a woman in close proximity under your wing that you are mentoring, discipling on a regular basis. It's expected of you. If you are a Christian woman and you're not involved in a relationship like this, then you're being disobedient. You're short-circuiting God's plan for you. You won't grow with fullness. You won't be as healthy as God expects you to be. You could be drying up on the vine. You can't isolate yourself. This is fundamental. This is basic. Thank God for these older women. I know for a fact that we have women like this in our church. We do. We have many that God has blessed us with. So younger ladies, um, find out who they are. Be proactive. Hunt them down. That's what you got to do. That's what I did when I was in my 20s, brand new Christian. And I learned about, oh, you got to be discipled and you need a mentor. And Well, how do I do that? Well, find an older guy that's smarter than you. Well, I'm supposed to be discipling somebody. How do I do that? To be a di well, find somebody stupider than you and <laughs> disciple that guy. And I was just told where I was down at my church, Grace Community Church, you got to, no, no excuses, McManus. Be proactive. Go find that guy. They're all over the place. So I did. Chasing them around. They probably got tired and sick of me. And I'm pulling on their coattails and asking for them, can you disciple me? Can we be together? Can we have prayer time? Can you show me stuff? Can you teach me stuff? Can I learn from you? And I just thank God that people taught me how to do that. And we need to do the same thing. Okay, so that's the older women. And they need to be given to teaching, encouraging, discipling. The younger woman. Let's look at the younger woman. That's verses 4 and 5. So maybe this is, uh, maybe you're a younger woman. You're on the spectrum somewhere. You're a Christian. You love God. You love Jesus. You're not quite there. Maybe you're doing good on two out of the three that I just mentioned. you got actions, words, and thoughts. And you're thinking, uh, I'm doing okay on my actions and words, my thoughts. Ooh, got to get that under control. Or maybe you're like, uh, I'm doing okay with my actions, but my words and my thoughts are way out of control. That's okay. You know Jesus, you love Jesus, you have His forgiveness, you have the church, you have the truth of the Word of God, you get the Spirit living in you, you can grow. We're all on the spectrum somewhere. Or maybe, this is true of you as a woman, uh, you're 0 for 3. Man, ah, my actions, they're not, ooh, I'm not consistent there. My words, whoa, they're pretty bad. My thoughts, uh, that's okay too, that's a reality. You got to get in the discipleship train somewhere. And here's what these older women of God need to be teaching you. So the question is, if you're a younger woman, do I have somebody teaching this stuff to me on a regular basis? They're teaching it to me in a biblical way, and they're somehow I'm being held accountable for it. That's key. I'm welcoming it when I hear it, and someone's holding me accountable for it. Otherwise, you're not going to grow. What are they? Uh, here they come. Uh, these older godly women are supposed to be teaching on a regular basis. Who? Uh, verse 4. They need to be qualified so that they may, for the purpose of every woman in the church that is an older, mature Christian woman, is expected to do the following. What? Primarily involved in ministry in the area of encouraging the younger women. That's the main ministry of the women in the church. 
who are discipling the younger women in our church. It needs to be the older women. Can't be Pastor Cliff. Boy, that would be terrible anyway. Me trying to disciple all kinds of different women in different phases of their life. and just, I'd be sitting there a lot saying, oh, I don't know what to do about that. Oh, I don't know about do. Oh, that's a hard one. Well, I don't know what to do. But sorry, sorry, ma'am. I'll pray for you. That's how that would go. But anyway, you need to be uh, teaching the younger woman, and here's what you're doing, so that you may be able to encourage the younger women. Stop on that first word. It's not just, it's encourage the younger women is not the right word. Train is another translation. That's not even the best translation. Because the word there, encourage, comes from the word sophron, sophron. Sophron a lot of times has to do with the mind. Sophron. Fren, P-H-R-E-N, diaphragm, diaphragm is where it comes from. Fren, the inward part. Sophron, sophren, thinking, the inward part, the inner you. That's what this word is. What's a diaphragm? Well, it's the thing on the inside that provides regularity to the outside. It's the stable, the great stabilizer within. So you look at the, uh, the history of the world at different times, different people. They knew that humanity was more than just a physical body. Apparently there's, there's something more. There's the invisible part, the mind, the conscience, the soul, the spirit, the inner man. And depending upon if you were the Greeks or the Jews or the whoever, they'd try to, where is that located? Where is that inner man? Lo- we would call it the mind. Where is the mind? You ask the average American on the street, where is the mind? They'll probably say, in the brain. Newsflash, the mind is not in the brain. Now, the Greeks and others, they thought it was in the diaphragm on the inside. Because they knew it was breathing in and out and it controlled a lot of stuff. That's where this word comes from. But it's all about inner control. So they almost saw the diaphragm is the inner mind of a human being. Uh, The Old Testament uh, refers to the heart as that inner control center. The heart. In America, we say the brain. Well, it's not an organ of the body, but there is, it's definitely from within. And it, what it's talking about is the mind. That is the word used here uh, for that the older women are supposed to be doing with the younger women. It's uh, helping them with mind control. That's the main thing a woman of God is doing to a younger woman is helping them think properly, be sober-minded in their thinking. You know, this verb is used two times in this passage of what older women are supposed to be helping younger women do is get their thought life in order. That's where they struggle. Why? Because they're primarily thinking emotionally. They're overwhelmed with emotions. They can't think straight. They can't see straight. And the older woman of God who's sober-minded and temperate can cut through all the emotions and get to the truth of the matter and say, Sister, you need to, get, you need to think properly. You're not thinking right. You're being overwhelmed by your emotions. That's godly counsel. That's what he's talking about here. So it's hard to translate, um, but it's not what this says, encourage the younger woman. That just doesn't do it justice. Older women are about helping younger women think right, think temperately, think soberly, think correctly, get your thoughts in order. And what are you supposed to think properly about? And then, he lists, well, and then an older woman is to help younger women think properly about the following. Number one, help your... The younger women think properly about loving their husbands. This is huge. If you are married, your priority in life is to love your husband. And according to this, you need help. According to this, this does not come naturally. So you need help. We all need help. And older women are supposed to be helping younger women learn how to love their husband. That means being patient for your husband, respecting your husband, forgiving your husband. Protecting his reputation. 
so that he, it, he enjoys being around you. Think about your marriage relationship, ladies, Christian women. Are you doing this? Are you committed to this? Do you love your husband? You'd probably say, yeah. Scary question. Does your husband think you're loving him? That's a really scary question. Older women help the younger women love their husbands. It doesn't come naturally. What else? To love your children. That doesn't come naturally either. We get impatient with our children. We yell at our children. We raise our voice at our children. We're harsh with our children. Sometimes we get too physical with our children. We have wrong expectations of our children. We manipulate our children. We make our children feel guilty. That's not love. We control our children. We want our children forever. That's not biblical. They're not yours. They're not mine. They're God's. We're stewards. And older women need to help younger women realize this. Do you have a proper philosophy and theology of parenting? It starts there with truth, how you think. What else are the older women supposed to be doing with the younger women? Well, learn how to love your husband, how to love your children. And that's the proper order, by the way. Those of you who are married and you have children and a husband, do you love your husband first before the children? You should. The husband comes first. That's the right order. That pleases God. Um, what else? Well, the older women are supposed to help the younger women be, verse 5, sensible. It's that saffron word again. Two times. So older women are supposed to help the younger ladies get control of their thinking so that they can get control of their thinking. It's redundant. That's the point of emphasis. A lot of ladies' problems have to do with wrong thinking as they are overwhelmed about emotions. And you got to fish out that truth, man. It's in the whirlpool of all that emotion. And you got to go in and Get the thought out. The tr- Here's God's unchanging truth. Put all that emotion aside. Now, earlier I said embrace your emotions. Yeah, in the right way. Emotions are good. Emotions are supposed to follow truth, not come before truth. Emotions are supposed to be the aftermath, the byproduct of thinking on things that are true, not driving the scenario. Put your emotions in the right order. So it's, it's thinking, getting your thinking in order. Being sensible is a translation, temperate, right thinking, clear thinking. What else? Pure. This is a rare word. Pure. Um, another translation is good because it comes from the word agathos, good, agatha, if that's your name. Pure, good, good, kind is another one. Uh, workers at number five. Verse 5, what else? Older women are supposed to teach younger women workers at home. In your Greek text, that's one word. It's just house and worker. This is fundamental. This is basic to what God has called a woman to do in the Bible. Genesis to Revelation. What is a godly woman, a virtuous woman? Uh, She's a homemaker. She builds the house. That's her domain. Especially if you're married and especially if you're married and have children. If you're single, you can still be a God still called, if, I know a lot of single ladies who just have a beautiful home. They're good at hospitality, entertaining the saints, washing the saints' feet, uh, serving out of the church uh, from their home. Homemaker. Keeping your house in order, working hard at home. That's the priority. It's not the career. This is basic. Not a career woman. It's a homemaking woman. I remember when we got married and our pastor, when he married us in the wedding ceremony, he looked at Debbie and he said, or no, he looked at me and said, Cliff, remember that Debbie is the queen of the home. I was a little, woo. She's the queen of the home. 
And he meant every woman that is married is the queen of the home. That's their domain. And I think he told me in private counseling, when she says she wants the furniture here, Cliff, you put it there. <laughs> yes, sir, pastor. Thank you, pastor. She wants this color of drapes? Don't say anything. You say yes, dear. Yes, pastor. Homemaker, her domain. And you do it together, of course. It's a collaboration. And one of the main things you're doing to make it home, you're making it a restful home, a peaceful home, a welcoming home. When husband comes home and he wants to be at home, he wants to come home. He feels welcomed when he comes home. Not assaulted like the lady in Proverbs, the dripping faucet. Where once again, oh, I get, do I go on the top of the roof in the corner or out in the desert? A worker at home. This, again, this flies in the face of what the world says. Just utterly despises the idea of being a homemaker. What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a homemaker. Well, I mean, what do you do for a real job? No, homemaking is the highest calling that God has given. Absolutely. When you do it and do it well, God is pleased. That's an act of worship to God, actually. His opinion is the only one that matters. And by the way, you'll find most fulfillment in doing what he expects and not what the world expects. So being a homemaker, uh, being kind, that's just kind in your words, patient, blessing the other person, being edifying in your speech. Uh, verse 5 goes on, a godly woman is supposed to teach the younger women to, they are to be subject or submissive to their own husbands. That's hard. That is hard. Boy, a lot of women really struggle with that. I've counseled over the years, decades. I've had Christian women tell me, but, I'll read this submit verse, and then pastor, but, and they got all kinds of excuses. You don't know my husband. He doesn't deserve it. He hasn't earned it. He's a jerk, and on and on. It's like, yeah, that's, that's probably true. It doesn't matter. What, is ple what pleases God? That's what matters. You don't badmouth your husband, talk about your husband, demean your husband, criticize your husband, love your husband, submit to your husband. God will bless you if you do. It brings ultimate fulfillment. It's a beautiful thing when, it, when it's done. So I know this is a high calling. So I just want to encourage you ladies out there, especially if you, if you aren't quite sure if you're an older woman of God or a mature Christian of God and you're here at our church, pray about that. Maybe you need feedback. Go ask a, a lady friend. Maybe ask one of the elders or somebody you trust at the church. Where do you think I'm at? Am I a younger woman or an older woman? And try to get an assessment as you evaluate yourself. Lay it before the Lord. If you're, if you're a little short, then lay that before God and plead with Him. God, make me this desirable, godly, older woman that pleases you, that can be used by you to a maximum in your church in discipling the saints. Lord, I lay that before you. God will answer that prayer because it's the will of God. He will answer that prayer because it is the will of God. That will happen. If you desire it and pursue it and pray about it, seek accountability with it. Or maybe you're a younger woman of God and you're here at this church, then you need to find older women. Be proactive. Take initiative. Go talk to them. Go ask them. Send them an email. Talk to them privately. Be praying specifically about it. God, please uh, bring me into relationship with some godly women in my life. Ask others to pray for you. Don't relent until this is a reality. Someone taught me this when I got saved at age 19. This Christian brother, and he, we started meeting together privately every week 
for one hour, and we're praying, we're memorizing scripture together, we're building relationship. And after about six months, he said, Cliff, you know what we've been doing? I said, no, what have we been doing? I've been discipling you. And I said, what's that? Well, it's what I've been doing, and this is what the Bible says, and this is what the Bible expects. And he told me, uh, for the rest of your life, you always need a man of God in your life. We all do. 19 years old. I thank God for that word, because ever since then, that's been true in my life. I know I need other men in my life. I need other men close to me in my life. And, I, and then on the other end, I need to be doing the same thing to younger men. That's what God expects. It's fundamental to the Christian life. You'll be blessed as a result. Thank God for all you ladies, and I know there are many who are currently in this, involved. You're in discipleship. You're encouraging younger women. The younger women are uh, with the ladies in the church. Keep doing that. That's how one of the great ways that the church grows and gets healthy. We need strong, godly women in the body of Christ. Let's go to prayer. Father, we do thank you for our time together and on this glorious day, a day where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a new and a special day you've given us with what we call Mother's Day. And we thank you for our many mothers, many sacrificial, hardworking, godly mothers who have blessed so many, have blessed the saints, have blessed our church. And God, I pray for all of our ladies out there today as we looked to the word and they desire to be like Hannah. They desire to be like the Titus II woman. And it's a battle. It's not easy. We need your help. We need your grace. God, that you would answer their prayer and the desire of their heart and extend your grace to them that they might please you in all things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.